It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Signing day behind us. We'll do these things in reverse order. We're talking about signing day. We're talking about the Liberty Bowl. But first, we are going to talk bragging rights, which comes up on Saturday. I'm Gabe DeArmond, Mitchell Forty here with me. Brad Sturdy, who covers Illinois basketball for Orange and Blue News, the Illinois rival site, on the phone with us. Brad, what's going on, man? Not much. Just getting ready for the big game this weekend. Yeah. So, uh, can we call can we... it a big game this year, or is it just more of a game? <laughs> um, it, it, I think it's only a big game in that you've got, you know, there's so many, uh, like, uh, connections, I think, yeah. uh, and, you know, the rivalry, but – you know, obviously, neither team is where they want to be at this point in the season, or where they uh, where they hope to be at the end of the season. So, um, got a long way to go, I think, uh, for these programs to get back to where they, you know, maybe a few years ago when you had some top ten type games. But uh, yeah. so hopefully they can get there. But right now it's just more of just that rivalry game where you can throw the records out, right? Isn't that the way it's what they say? <laughs> well, and and that's that's where we'll start. Illinois probably would like to throw the record out, but like, look, they're four and seven, but. I mean, they don't have a bad loss. It's it's like they're a team that they can't beat anybody any good, but they beat the bad teams. So you know, I think Illinois is better than a four and seven team, but at some point they got to beat somebody that that proves that. Yeah, no question. I mean, they really haven't had a bad loss. I mean, but you know, they they've lost obviously some really good teams, Gonzaga, Nebraska. You know, Iowa State turns out they're pretty good. You know, Ohio State. So. Uh, and Notre Dame's probably better than we thought they were, I think. Uh, and so, and they've they've lost some games to some good teams, but at the same time, you got to beat somebody. I mean, beating Evansville, UNLV, East Tennessee State, Mississippi Valley State, those aren't really kind of signature wins you're looking for for your resume. So, um, they they need to win uh, pretty badly, I think. Brad, uh, you know, speaking of kind of those those losses against big programs, I know kind of a theme this season for Illinois has been, you know, late in game kind of, I don't want to call it collapse, but but kind of, you know, getting off to a good start and, and blowing leads and having it fall apart in the second half of the games. What, what kind of, has there been one thing that maybe has, you know, caused that or has it just been kind of a, a different thing every time? Well, it, it, it's been a different thing every time. Um, but the, the biggest thing for you consistently see is that, you know, with their style of play where they like to push the ball and they like to, you know, pressure on defense, they don't have the depth um, that you really need to play that way. And so when you're only playing seven or eight guys and you're trying to run up and down the floor and pressure defensively for 40 minutes, um, it really it, it makes it hard. And I think uh, teams adjust to the pressure, and then at the same time they also, um, you, you know, Illinois gets a little worn down. They start missing shots. Um, they've had some, you know, they've had shots to win against Gonzaga and Notre Dame and have just missed them. You know, so uh, they've had opportunities. They haven't, you know, made those shots at the end. And, you know, boy, it'd be, uh, you know, you win a couple of those close games you've lost down the stretch, and, boy, you, you feel a lot differently about where you're at as a, as a program and as a team for this season. Well, there, there are two reasons, Brad, I've been saying I expect Illinois to win this game. One is because that's what Illinois does. They win this game. Uh, <laughs> they haven't been all that good the last five years, but they've won it even when Missouri was decent last year. But the second is you mentioned the style. I mean, Missouri's biggest problem is taking care of the ball. And that was, to me, just on, on full display last year, Illinois just absolutely had Missouri look like they didn't they'd never dribbled a basketball before in the first half so how good is how close to what Brad Underwood ultimately wants is this Illinois pressure defense 
I mean, it's it's getting there. He's they're more athletic this year, um, so they're able to do some things. I mean, they're forcing turnovers on about twenty five percent of opponent possessions, um, so which is obviously good. But at the same time, you know, they, they and they they still lack the rim protector that they you know are going to need uh, down the road if they want to be successful. I think the biggest thing for me has been the Illinois offense has not been probably as good as they hoped it would be. Um, and, and defensively, they, they give up, just like I say, without a rim protector, too many um, easy baskets inside, um, and they foul way too much. I mean, I think they foul as much as all but maybe five or ten programs in the country. I mean, you're going to see a lot of whistles. Um, so awesome. if if you attack, um, yeah, and if Missouri you know, goes and attacks and tries to get and can get the ball inside, I think they're going to give Illinois fits. You know? I don't think they have anybody who can really match up with Tillman, but at the same time, if they – turn the ball over then Illinois is probably going to uh be able to you know get some run outs and get some uh you know get some offense out of their defense and then it's going to make it harder for uh harder for Missouri to win the game Brad you touched on this a, a tiny bit uh earlier but uh you know one of the things that, that kind of makes this matchup a little bit more interesting than, than the records would indicate is that there is uh s- several players on Missouri's team who have ties to Illinois and we saw Jeremiah Tillman obviously get get booed last season he had committed he had committed to Illinois uh and then ended up at Missouri. Now they have another guy who who did that in Javon Pickett, plus a guy who actually played for Illinois and Mark Smith. What do you expect, kind of the the fan animosity level to be uh, from from the the people wearing orange on on Saturday? I don't know that Pickett will get a lot, but I do believe that Mark Smith and <laughs> Jeremiah Tillman are going to hear it. Yeah. Um, and, and you know the thing is, it, it's sad because you know Mark Smith's really he's a you guys have probably interviewed him. He's a good kid. Mm-hmm. He really is a good kid. Um, and just didn't fit the style. It is what it is. You know, he didn't like the style. Yeah, you can talk about all these reasons why, but but the fans don't look at it that way. He's he's a traitor, right? So um, <laughs> so. Uh, but no, I, I think they're going to obviously that's going to be interesting, and and I it wouldn't shock me to see Mark Smith have a pretty good game. Um, he's shooting the ball extremely well, you know, as you guys know, and so um, they Illinois has a tendency to give up some open threes too with that pressure. If you can handle that pressure and you get down, you'll get might get an open corner three, you might get the ball inside, and so I think Mark Smith is a guy who you know, if he gets those open shots, knocks them down, and and we know sometimes guys get pretty hyped for this game. I mean, they can get pretty excited and um, freshmen tend to struggle in these games. And, and so that's where I kind of wonder, Illinois has got a lot of guys who are new to this game. And so it'll be interesting to see how they re- respond. Hey, Brad, I want to ask you a little more about, about Smith because I, like he has been so much better than I expected. And, and we all knew he was either going to come here and, and he really was just a kid that maybe played in the wrong system and, and needed a fresh start or, he was the kid we saw last year who was, frankly, not all that good. Um, are you surprised yeah. by the start he's had here? No, I, uh, there's only the only thing that really surprised me is the way he's rebounded the ball because he really struggled to rebound last year, and that was something they really wanted him to do, and he, he didn't do it. And um, so he's rebounded well this year, and so that, that was something Underwood really wanted. But the thing about Mark Smith is you would watch him. We watched him in one pregame last year hit 20 consecutive threes in the pregame. 10 from each corner, just boom, boom, hit 10 in a row in one corner, moved to the other corner, hit 10 in a row. I was watching him, he hit 20 consecutive threes, and I'm like, and he's shooting, I don't know what he shot, like 20-some percent from yeah, three 23 last year. Last so, year. Yeah, so here's a guy making all these threes. Like, how is this possible? Well, freshmen adjust to the speed of the game a little bit as sophomores, and I think that's what's happened with him. And so, you know, he's shooting 47% from three. I Probably that'll level off when you get into the, you know, the conference play. But I think he's going to shoot 40% from three, and that's kind of what – 
Illinois was hoping he could do as well. And, you know, he just had a freshman year where that didn't go in. And we've seen a lot of freshmen who are really good shooters who struggle as, you know, or a lot of players who are really good shooters who struggle to shoot the ball as a freshman and then get better. And I think he's probably an example to that. Brad, I think, uh, you know, people who have maybe not followed uh, Illinois as much this season know about Io DeSumo, their, their five-star freshman point guards. But who else kind of on on this team, like you said, it's not a very deep lineup, but who else is kind of, are kind of the, the key guys who they are going to need, you know, a, a big contribution from Saturday to, to have a chance? Well, I, I think Trent Frazier, you know, he's the guy. You know, he leads them in scoring. He's the, you know, he's the, he plays, he and DeSumo are excellent backcourt. Um, and they've really got great contributions out of uh, Georgie Bassanis Feely up front, 6'9 freshman. Um, but again, he's a freshman. He fouls a lot. You know, he, he, he may, he and, I don't know, he and Tillman may battle so you can foul out the fastest. Um, so, um, but uh, then you've got, you know, I think one of the keys for Illinois are, are two guys. Uh, Kipper Nichols has been up and down. And when he's on, Illinois is much better. Um, and when he's when he plays well, Illinois, does, Illinois tends to play well. And when he doesn't, he's kind of that X factor. And Aaron Jordan's been very consistent for Illinois. He, he rebounds every game. You know, his shot is, you know, he's shooting 45% from three. Um, obviously, uh, he, he's a guy who can knock down shots from the perimeter, but he's been very good defensively. He's been a great rebounder for them, too. And so they're a little bit undersized. I know Missouri isn't, like, you know, huge either uh, in a lot of positions. They they expected to maybe be a little bit bigger with Porter and Tillman playing together. But but it'll be interesting to see how Illinois, you know, how they match up with each other. But I think if Kipper Nichols and Trent Frazier are the guys that, you know, outside of I.O. that really are the keys, you know, the veteran guys that have to step up and, and play well for Illinois to win so we're talking with uh with brad sturdy from orange and blue news covers illinois basketball and uh, i don't know what to expect on saturday night as far as atmosphere and crowd goes because obviously this thing went through two or three years where it was just like kind of like a regular old non-conference game that nobody really cared about and then last year because missouri fans discovered they played basketball again it it was pretty good (laughs) up over twenty thousand. I, I guess it'll probably be somewhere between nobody cares and what it was last year. Uh, it, what do you expect from the Illinois side? I, I think the Illinois fans, this is, it, it's kind of weird. I mean, just talking to some people on the message, you know, seeing the message boards and reading what they say, this is kind of the important game for the season because they figure they're not going to make the NCAA tournament right now because they're, you know, because their record. And so they're kind of looking at, well, at least we beat Missouri. And especially the guys who live in the St. Louis area who are looking at this is like, Hey, at least I got bragging rights for another year. So I think it'll be a good atmosphere. Um, you know, it's a game that if Illinois, Illinois had obviously the Big Ten. If you've looked at their their power rankings, I mean, it's a gauntlet. Um, Illinois has a difficult schedule, and you know, I think that they really need this win um, for them going forward. I think Missouri could maybe, you know, they they might have some more winnable games uh, later on. But uh, you know, Illinois hasn't got a lot of games where they're favored in right now. I'd only pick maybe two or three where they're going to have a you know, out at Florida Atlantic, but then probably two or three others where they're actually going to be a favorite throughout the and the rest of the 18-game Big Ten season. So they really need this win. I think the, it'll be a it'll be a pretty good atmosphere. I think it'll be fun. I expect a competitive game. I think it'll be go down to the wire. And, um, as you know, the one thing about Illinois, they haven't done a good job in those close games, so we'll see how they are able to handle, uh, handle it on Saturday. Brad, you mentioned, you know, having Illinois be – maybe only favored in a few more games here the rest of the way. Um, you know, obviously we, you talked a little bit about just kind of the the way that the, the rebuild process that Brad Underwood is in, kind of implementing his system. Is there still, you know, plentiful patience kind of with, with him and, and how much time he's going to have, even if, say, they win, you know, 
12 games I mean, this year? Yeah, I, I think there's a little bit of, uh, like, concern. And not necessarily, I don't know if concern's the right word, but there's a, there's a group that has looked at Illinois hasn't been, you know, maybe where they needed to be for about, you know, 10 years or so. So I think there's some concern there, like they're tying in the previous regime. I think for Underwood, the administration and the, you know, the most, the fans who the money fans are the ones that are, they're behind the rebuild and they feel like, you know, I think that by next year, they want to see some definite um, improvement on the court. Uh, if they're going to, uh, you, you know, kind of think this is going to be good for the long haul. So I think, you know, finishing strong this year and having a good season next year is probably the keys for Underwood going forward. And, and, and that's probably where most of the fans are. They're just, I think they just want to see something uh, a little bit better than four and seven, you know, even, even though they haven't really had bad losses, they'd like to see some more quality wins. All right, Brad, I want to finish you up with this. Um, and, and I truly ask this question with no preconceived opinion because I don't know anything about it other than we deal with a similar situation regularly here with St. Louis and sending football players to Missouri. Illinois basketball in Chicago has been a story for a long time, and it <laughs> flared up again with a column, I think, in the USA Today, if that's correct, uh, about how Brad Underwood had, had not been to any high school games up in Chicago, all that. I honestly don't even know if that's unusual. I've seen some back and forth. So I, I, it, I think we all know the story last year with kind of Io DeSumo and Taylor Horton Tucker, and it almost became an either-or situation. So I guess just yeah. open mic, what's the – is it just all politics between Chicago high schools and Illinois? And is that something that Brad Underwood was prepared for? I don't know that. It, I know people talk about it. They're being prepared. I don't think any Illinois coach that comes in and I, I've talked to him from Lon Kruger to Bill Self to Bruce Weber to John Gross. I, I think they all know that they have to deal with Chicago. I don't think they all realize the politics involved when, once they get here and, until they get here. And then they're like, Whoa, this is crazy. Um, and, and I think, you know, this article in Sun-Times, and, and, and there wasn't anything unfactual, but Illinois also, you know, like we talked about, they've been to Maui. They've already played road games in Nebraska at Notre Dame. And also their home, one of their home games was even not in Champaign. So, and they played 11 games in, you know, in about you know, three weeks there. So they've been out, you know, the assistants have more been out. Also, Brad Underwood had knee replacement surgery. So he also can't, he couldn't fly. Till, till right around November, and he still has to take blood thinners to get on a plane so he doesn't clot. And you know, there, there's so many things going on, and so he hasn't been in a college in a Chicago gym. But Illinois also, you know, they've had assistant coaches out, and so they Underwood's plan is to get out over the holiday tournament time because they got the game Saturday and they don't play again until the next Saturday, and then you know, and that's uh, you know probably one of those games they should win regardless. So he's got some time here where he's out recruiting. He's actually in Fort Myers, Florida, right now watching some kids, um, and they're actually watching some kids from Chicago at the Tarkini Classic in Las Vegas. So I, I think it's it's weird. I haven't been in high school gym, but they've seen a lot of these kids play in open gyms and they've been in a, you know, had assistants go out. So it's, it's a bit different. It's semantics and everything, but it, at the end of the day, that that's something they have to navigate if they want to be successful and recruit Chicago and uh, they, they have to figure it out. And it's never, it's never easy though. I right. can tell the, you that. And, and the, the onus of it always falls on the program and the college coach because you will never win a battle blaming high school kids or high school coaches. Uh, <laughs> exactly. but I, I remember when Gary Pinkle got here, he said, look, I didn't make the problem in St. Louis, but now it's my problem. And yeah. so they had to go fix it no matter how unfair it is. 
Yep. No, and that's exactly right. I mean, you're you're exactly right. I mean, they have to they have to deal with it, and whether you think it's right or wrong, and 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 there's a lot of things you know you can say that are probably you know taken out of context, things like that, and so. But at the end of the day, you know, you're either going to get players from there or you're not, and and that's the that's the goal if you're the coach of Illinois. Well, but fortunately for Illinois, Chicago never turns out any good players. So <laughs> yeah, no, no, no talent, so no worries. <laughs> All right, Brad, appreciate it, man. Are you uh, you going to be there Saturday night? I will be. I will be. Should be fun. So All right. hopefully, we'll hopefully catch it's up. An exciting game. All right, thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, guys. Brad Sturdy, OrangeAndBlueNews.com. Um, like I said, I don't know. Illinois wins this game every year, so I just kind of assume <laughs> Illinois is going to win this game. Yeah, it's been kind of funny actually talking to you know people on the Mizzou beat and, and even fans just are kind of like, well, I mean, like they played really good on Tuesday, so there's no way they can do that against <laughs> right. Saturday, right? I, I mean, like yeah. it's just what happens in this game. Like you know, they 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 come out, they turn the ball over 35 times, and they score 20 points, and they lose. <laughs> like yeah, and, and it's always the same. It's it, like 12 minutes into the game. They're behind like twenty-seven to nine, <laughs> yeah. and then they come back and and you see about twelve minutes of really good basketball, and you're like, okay, and they get back within like four points, and then they're like, nah, we got nothing left, man. So there was actually a point I think where everybody watching that game against Xavier on Tuesday night was going, stop making shots, man, <laughs> yeah. save some points <laughs> yeah, for exactly, Saturday night. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, obviously Missouri's been playing well lately, and you know if they play like they did on Tuesday, they they should win. They should be a lot of teams if they play like that but uh but yeah i mean like it, it hasn't happened in this game in five right. years so it's kind of hard to expect it and i always say this is this is to me like the actual unofficial start of college basketball season because most foot most places football is especially in the sec but i, I think most places in the country football is going to be the dominant story mm -hmm. all throughout the fall and most places play in a bowl game because it is fairly difficult not to play in a bowl game. So especially now with the early signing period, really up until Christmas, football is what occupies most people's time and attention. And now this Illinois game has always been kind of the one where I'm like, okay, now it's basketball season. Conference games are like two weeks away. Now we kind of shift gears. Yeah. And I think it was, you know, kind of nice to have that, that Xavier game at home maybe started it this year because that was, that was, you know, a pretty noteworthy game at home. But, but yeah, and I mean, like, it's been especially that the case this season because, one, the football team obviously has been, you know, has had a lot of newsworthy ha things happen even in the offseason. And, mm -hmm. two, a bunch of these basketball games that, that they've played have been not on TV. It's right, like, like nobody can it's find It's hard it. to know that, like, to follow a game that's on the Cyclone Network or Flow Hoops. So, yes. you know, uh, I mean, yeah, now now it's it's really, you know, getting serious in the basketball season. And, and, you know, like we said, Mizzou's been playing better lately. So there is, you know, reason to pay attention to this team. We are now going to shift our attention from basketball back to football. The Liberty Bowl now 11 days away as we're doing this. Uh, New Year's Eve in Memphis, uh, Missouri playing Oklahoma State, which you may have forgotten by now, so we will remind you. But to talk about the Cowboys, we're going to talk to Carson Cunningham from KOCO down in Oklahoma and uh, follows the Cowboys. Carson, appreciate you joining us, man. No problem. It's uh, it's good to be back with you guys. You guys forgot about us in, in SEC country, but it's, yeah. it's good to get Oklahoma State and, and Missouri back together like old times. Yeah, I kind of wanted to start there. I mean, I, I know Missouri fans were hoping that if they got sent to the Liberty Bowl, they wanted TCU or Baylor just because they feel like they just played Oklahoma State, even though it's been five years. What was Oklahoma State's view of this? Were they, hey, we're 6-6, six and six, we'll take what we can get? Were they looking forward to Missouri, or are they thinking – Hey, we just did this. Can't we play somebody different? I think from from Oklahoma State's perspective, it was about as good of a bowl matchup as they could have gotten. I think a lot of us thought 
the way the season was winding down, they might be headed to the Cheez-Its Bowl out in Arizona, which hey, is a great location for us. When also, we cover the game. free Cheez-Its. <laughs> like, I wanted to go to the Cheez-Its Bowl. <laughs> exactly. But I, I think getting a matchup, like, I think we all, like, everyone in Oklahoma realizes Missouri really came on this year and is a lot better and could, could honestly be in a much better bowl game than the Liberty Bowl, as, as well as they played in some of the teams they've beaten. I think there is a little bit of bowl fatigue with having just played them, but I, I do think most – most OSU people and OSU folks are excited to play Missouri again, and and really, I think they were uh, they were a little hurt by that Cotton Bowl loss. I think they want to get one back at Missouri, and it's kind of cool too, guys, because Mike Gundy still to this day says the win in Columbia back in 2008 when they had Chase Daniel and they had that offense that had never had a three and out, and they were ranked, they were ranked number two in the country. Yeah. He still cites that as the win that turned around his program and and turn it into the top 15 program it is today. So it's kind of – it's a cool matchup, and I think it's one that Oklahoma State will get up for because Missouri's ranked. OSU's only played their best ball against ranked teams. They've struggled against teams they tend to overlook. So it's a good matchup for OSU. Well, it works out well then because that 2008 game against Oklahoma State is still the one Missouri fans look at and go, well, I don't know, we are supposed to win the national title, and, <laughs> and, then, and then there it all went on that night. So. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's bad memories, I'm sure. And that's I guess the equivalent for OSU would be the, the Iowa State loss in 2011 right. when they thought they were going to win the national championship. So, yeah. But, no, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, um, Oklahoma State has had a just a psychotic year. I don't know how much you guys have seen them this year, but they beat Texas at home. They beat West Virginia at home. And then they lose to Kansas State on the road and score 12 points. They get held scoreless against Texas Tech for 40 straight minutes. They were such a – it's the most psychotic team I think I've ever covered. <laughs> so, I don't know what to expect in, in, against Missouri. Carson, you uh, you led kind of perfectly into my, my first question there, and I was just going to ask, you know, what what has been the difference between the good Oklahoma State team, the team that beats West Virginia and Texas, and, and the bad? Well, first and foremost, it comes down to quarterback play. I mean, they've, they've been playing this guy named Taylor Cornelius. He's a fifth-year former walk-on, he paid his dues, and Mike Gundy had on his roster a kid named Spencer Sanders, who was Mr. Texas football, all-world coming out of high school, and they were just dead, they were just dead set on redshirting him and, and riding out the Taylor Cornelius thing, and he's been up and down. I mean, the games they've won, he's played outstanding. He's looked like an all-Big 12 type of guy and kind of showed flashes of what Mike Gundy obviously saw in, in spring ball and throughout the fall camp. But, man, when he was bad, guys, he was horrific. And I don't think the, the coaching staff really had their best year as far as putting him in positions to succeed. He's he's a very elusive runner for a guy who's 6'6". You wouldn't expect it. But when they finally let him run a little bit and do some quarterback keepers, that really opened up the offense, which you saw against against Texas primarily. I mean, he threw for 300 yards and ran for 100 yards against Texas. But just there was just too many spells where – they couldn't get a first down, let alone score points. I mean, I referenced the Kansas State game. They scored 12 points against K-State, who's awful. They went scoreless for 40 minutes against Tech. TCU game, the last game of the year, might have been the worst of all of them. I mean, it was it was hard to watch at times. And it, it, total blame goes down to the offensive coaching staff as well. I thought the defense at times this year played well enough to win games. They, they, they got enough punts, enough stops, and they just did not play complimentary football. But – Oklahoma State's never going to be the Iron Curtain on their steel curtain on defense. <laughs> and they only got three turnovers in their final six games. I mean, that's what they live and die on is turnovers. So this year that turnover karma kind of flipped and it coincided with bad quarterback play. 
and that's why Oklahoma State only has six wins, which is the fewest amount of wins they've had since Mike Gundy's first season in Stillwater. It, Barry Odom was saying a couple of days ago, I asked him uh, pretty much the same question about what the difference between the good and the bad Oklahoma State was, and he said it, it almost seemed like it became contagious when they started to move the ball on offense, their defense played better football. Uh, like they both played really well at the same time. And then when it started to go South on offense, it went South on defense a little bit at the same time. Do, do you see that? Or was that just kind of coach speak answering a question? He no, didn't really that, know. That's a very accurate way to put it. I mean, I, they're very, it seemed as if they were very fragile mentally when things were rolling and going well, they caught fire. I mean, if, the Texas game, the first half, they caught fire and lit up Texas. But in the second half, I mean, they were psychotic just within a single game. The first half against Texas, they're very streaky. They, they're moving the ball. They're scoring on almost every single possession. Second half, they could do nothing and just held on for dear life. The West Virginia game, they do nothing in the first half. Looks like they're going to have to finally bench Cornelius after the whole season. And in the second half, they scored on seven of eight drives. So that is a very good way to put it. They're just – they're very streaky, and it seems as if when it's going well, they're going to play like a Big 12 contender. But if it's going south, they look like a team that shouldn't be going to a bowl game. And that, that's, that's basically – that Barry pretty much hit it on the head there. Uh, I know Oklahoma State has a couple guys who are, are sitting out this matchup, most notably Justice Hill, their, their star running back, also an offensive lineman, Larry Williams. How, how big of a blow is it you know, for this offense to, to not have those two guys? Well, it, it certainly hurts the offensive line most. I mean, and Justice Hill, obviously, is an all-Big 12 caliber running back. He's borderline All-American. He's one of the best running backs, frankly, in, in OSU's history. But he, he missed the final two or three games with a rib injury. He got hurt in Bedlam and then missed the final two. And basically, it appears as he was sitting out to get ready for the NFL. And in his absence, this redshirt freshman from Canada named Chuba Hubbard looked – as good as Justice Hill. It was shocking. Like, we all knew he was a track star. He was kind of brought in as kind of a Tyree Kill type, uh, just a track guy. But he really impressed me in that he was an every-down back. He was able to run through the tackle, ran for some tough yards in Bedlam. I didn't know he was capable of that. You know, typically those track guys don't like to get hit. He would lower his head, and, and he, frankly, looks like the future at the running back position. So I don't think there's going to be as much drop-off with running back. Obviously, you'd like to have Justice Hill, clearly, but – their offensive line, I think, has been very inconsistent as well. So they weren't that great to begin with. So losing a starter like that, I think it'll really hurt them on the on the offensive line more so than running back. Carson, kind of off the uh, path of this game, like there's only so many ways you can break this game down in three weeks, whatever. They're going to play at some point. But, uh, <laughs> you know, Missouri fans, hey, it, it is difficult to have a uh, rational conversation with Missouri fans about the Big 12 because – for, for years, Missouri was in the Big 12, and they hated the SEC arrogance, and the Big 12 was just as good and all that. And now Missouri's in the SEC, and the Big 12 is awful, and, and, and it's terrible at everything, and we hate them, obviously. <laughs> so uh, you can't have a, a rational conversation. But I wanted to kind of – still being in it, your take on now this, this Big 12 after five years that is without Missouri, A&M, Colorado, and, and Nebraska um, – Every week, it seems like, I don't know, maybe they'll add some more teams. Maybe they won't. Uh, it's quieted down a little bit. But hey, what's your take just on the Big 12 as a league right now? Well, I just – the Big 12 just can't get out of their own way. I mean, they just – it seems like at, at every turn they've made a misstep. Obviously, the way the league crumbled, it, it crippled them going to 10, and then they couldn't figure out the one true champion thing. I mean, you go back to 2014 <laughs> when – Literally, they trumpet all season the one true champion, and Baylor beats TCU in the regular season. 
and they hand out two trophies. So right. the college football playoffs, like, you idiots, you've made the decision for us. You can't even decide who your champion right. is. And then, they, Ohio State. and then they bring back the championship game, which, frankly, I think does nothing but make it harder to make the playoff. It, it does, and I will say this. They got really lucky this year. Mm-hmm. With, with Oklahoma and Texas rematching, their two marquee programs, they, they're so lucky it wasn't Oklahoma in a rematch back-to-back weeks with West Virginia. How silly would that be, back-to-back right. games with the same team? So they, they got really lucky this year, and frankly, I think it, it helped Kyler Murray win the Heisman having that championship game. Yeah. Clearly, he swung all the votes on championship Saturday. So it's worked out this particular season. But, guys, you're right. A 10-team ten, a league, you already play around Robin, and then you add this chance. It just it doesn't work, and there's not two teams to go add. So – as much as I'd love to see Missouri come back, that's not happening. <laughs> Colorado's not coming back. It just it appears that they're going to be sticking with this. And they've really hurt themselves, too, because they play nine conference games. The SEC's got it made, man. You play eight conference games. Yeah. You play the, the FCS-level opponent, the D2, whatever you want to call it, and you, you go play in the championship game from you know the east side, which is good for Missouri as well. So. No, the, the Big 12 hierarchy just can't get out of their own way. So I, I've seen some talk, and and I think this would actually make sense because conferences don't have anything to do with geography anymore. Like, go get UCF and somebody else. Do you think that's a thing that could – because realignment is coming. At some point, the Big 12 has to add teams before that, or the Big 12 is going to go away. Yeah, I, I th- I've come around to I don't even care who the two teams are. <laughs> go play go play eight conference games, get your two divisions. And I thought it was pretty funny, you know, during the regular season this year, you had Central Florida and Cincinnati playing the prime time Saturday game on right. ABC nationwide and you did not have a big and they're not in the Big Twelve. <laughs> yeah. You had the, the prime time game and it was two two teams that the Big Twelve has been looking at for a while now. And I think there's some hesitancy with Central Florida because they obviously have the, the, the student body. They're like the largest student body in the country, and they're in a prime fertile recruiting ground. I think there's a worry that you create – you kind of create a giant over there maybe. I don't know. But I, I'm to the point where I'm fine with Central Florida. I'm fine with Cincinnati. But you got to get on level footing with every other Power 5 conference. You can't be stuck with 10. So I, I'm with you guys. Carson, since we've kind of uh, you know strayed away from talking about the actual on-field matchup, you know one of the one of the the kind of gifts to keep on giving in college football is Mike Gundy and his uh, you know his tendency to to kind of say some off-the-wall things in, in press conferences. I'm curious, uh, do you have a, a favorite Mike Gundy interaction or moment that maybe not everyone knows about? Like obviously the "I'm a man, I'm 40" thing that can't be your answer because everyone knows about that. But do you have a a, a Mike Gundy story that uh, that of note? Well, the one that's made the rounds this year was his rant on Twitter. Mm-hmm. He made a, made spark noises. <laughs> um, I mean, there's been so many guys, I, it slips my mind. But people are kind of getting fed up with his shtick around here, guys, to be honest yeah. with you. I mean, he, he, he went on this rant along with the Twitter deal about uh, snowflakes and Generation Z and millennials. Mm-hmm. And to be frank, it, it's kind of leaking over into his recruiting. Their recruiting is slipping, not just – nationally but amongst the big 12 they're at 46 in the country this year in recruiting and that's all fine when you're winning 10 games six out of the past eight years but when you go six and six and you rail on the kids you have to recruit and you're not getting elite level recruits and you're only winning six games that that your stick and your mullet and all that kind of (laughs) kind of wears thin a little bit so it's been a guys it's been a troubling year this year I, i don't mean to sugarcoat it this is a troubling time for osu football we've never seen 
Mike Gundy struggled this much since his first season. He's been there 13 years now, so uh, 14 years now. So this is a uh, this is a big game, guys. I, I think this would be this would go a long way to kind of easing some of the tension around the OSU program if they were to get this win because it was a bad year and people are not happy with his recruiting. So you combine all that, if he loses to Missouri again, uh, it's it's not going to be a good situation. And you factor in too, OSU just hired this coach named Mike Boyton for the basketball program. And for years, Mike Gundy said, you know, it's it's hard to recruit to Stillwater, man. It's hard to get guys here. Meanwhile, this basketball coach has been there five minutes, and he's already pulling in four and five star guys. Yeah. So it's not a it's not a good uh, dichotomy there. That that led kind of into what I want to finish up with, and that is, I mean, Mike Gundy in Oklahoma State has been such a strange, strange relationship. I mean, he's an alum, like you would think he would be there forever. He has now been there forever, but like. Mike Gundy's interviewed for every job in America at some point in the last six years. And now there are, it, it may be nothing more than internet rumors, but people are starting to say he seems worn out. I, I wonder if he's just been there too long. It, he might step down after this year. Like, is there anything to that, do you think? I, I don't think it's crazy talk. I mean, it reminds me a lot of Bob Stoops' last couple of years where, he just got kind of tired of the recruiting. He got kind of tired of the job. And, frankly, you lose a little bit of that hunger. When Bob mm-hmm. Stoops first got to Oklahoma, man, he was recruiting on the road all the time. Mike Gundy is not the lead recruiter anymore like a Lincoln Riley is at Oklahoma. He kind of comes in at the, at the end of the process. So I don't think that's crazy. I think, you know, he has kids that are in high school. He goes to watch his kid play high school football. I just think, you know, he's not quite as hungry as he used to be. Now, as far as talking to other jobs, there was a period of time after that 2011 season, the athletic director at Oklahoma State and him kind of had some some tension on yeah. contract discussions, and he ends up hiring Jimmy Sexton, who you, I'm sure you guys are aware of. Oh, that. yes, he, he, he represents, represents Mariota. Yeah. He hired, okay, there you go. He, he hired Jimmy Sexton, and you guys know better than anybody. <laughs> Jimmy Sexton, what does he do? He will put your name out there to get you more money, and yes. he obviously taught Mike to, the only way you're going to get anything you want is by making him think you're going to leave. So I don't think he was ever leaving and going to Tennessee or Baylor that one year, which was crazy. He just learned from Jimmy Sexton that the only way to get yours is to put your name out there, and that's what he's been doing. And he he ended up working. He's paid like a top-ten coach now. Yeah, it was uh, Jimmy Sexton that had Mike Anderson interviewing for the Georgia basketball (laughs) job, which was kind of the one that Missouri fans said, I'm sick of this, just leave. Right, Um, just throw your hands up. Yeah, so your answer about Gundy brought up, to me, Kind of, I've never really thought about it this way, but tell me what you think of this comparison. I think Gundy and Gary Pinkle's career arc are very similar. Um, they, they they both got to kind of the doorstep. Neither one of them quite knocked the door down. There's a limit to how long you can be anywhere. And Gary's last couple years here, the recruiting slipped. The drive wasn't quite there. It ended, unfortunately, not as well as you would have liked it to. It doesn't end well for any coach, but... I mean, if Gundy has another six and six, you can kind of see that same. And now Gary Pinkle didn't get fired here, and I don't think Mike Gundy would get fired there. But it just kind of hit a point where I think both sides just said, I, I don't know where else this can go. No, that's a good comparison. I mean, they both, you know, are essentially the best coach in school history, kind of built built it on the spread offense as well. So that, that is a good comparison. And I do think Gundy, he's a made man. I mean, he's mm-hmm. you're right. He's not going to get canned, but – it, it does seem like things get a little stale. And, and Mike Gundy's always joked about this. He's always said, you know, eventually they're going to get tired of me and they'll bring in someone else that will come do the job. And if they think they can do better, have at it. So he, he, I don't think he's 
I think, guys, I think he has about five, six more years left. You know, his kid is a junior in, in high school. He's one of the better recruits in Oklahoma. I could see him coaching his own son, which we all know how that goes. That, right. that never ends well. But I could see him coaching him throughout his, his career and then, and then riding, out, uh, riding his tractor out of town to his, to his ranch out in Stillwater. All right. Well, Carson, appreciate it, man. We'll uh, hopefully bump into you down in Memphis. Yeah, sounds good, guys. We'll see you. All right, Thanks, have Carson. A good one. Carson Cunningham, KOCO TV down in Oklahoma, uh, covers the Cowboys, Sooners, all that. Um, I don't know. Five years ago, I thought Gundy was one of the best coaches in the country. It's kind of interesting where it's gone since then. Yeah, it's been interesting. Even this season, you know, it seems like it's, there's been a lot kind of, you know, like like Carson was saying, less positive reaction to some of his antics and his his press conference moments. And, you know, you can kind of see sometimes where he looks like just kind of tired um yeah. and and obviously a lot of that probably just i mean like everything else in college sports has to do with the fact that they're not winning games uh, sure, or at least right. winning as many as normal but but yeah i mean like it i think you know this this could be an important game for for him just to kind of have find something to to create some momentum going forward yeah and and bowl games are so much about who wants to be there who needs it and I, I think this is a dangerous spot for Missouri because Oklahoma State does need it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now last year Texas came into this game and I thought they didn't give a crap and Missouri <laughs> forgot to show up. So, uh, I, like, I think it's important to this Missouri team because nine wins, top 25, continue everything you've done over there. Because we saw last year, you end with a bad one. Yeah. And that's what people remember. Yeah. To carry this momentum of four straight, signing day, Kelly Bryant, all that. This is a huge game for Missouri, and I think they've got a team on the other side that it's a pretty big game for them. Yeah, like I mean, it, like you said, it's impossible to say for sure. Like no one actually knows, right. you know, who's going to show up. But like, well, the thing that, that I think maybe you know for for Mizzou that that I come back to that I think might cause them to you know actually show up and play hard is is you know having Drew Locke in this senior class. It'd be their last game. You know, mm-hmm. I think I think obviously Drew Locke kind of sets the tone for the whole offense, and and the fact that he will want to to probably win and and you know go out with with a, a good performance. I would guess would, would kind of rally the troops, but you never know. Like I mean, right. it, It's you know, and maybe like you said, maybe Oklahoma State will come out flat. Who, who knows? It's it's hard to say with, with bull games, but yeah, I mean, it, it, on paper this should be a game where both teams actually you know care. Yeah. And Missouri last year had all the, the, you know, chaos with Josh Heupel and all that. And, mm-hmm. like, I think we ignored the fact that Texas actually was a good defensive team last year. Oh, yeah. You know, and yeah. so Missouri couldn't get anything going. Oklahoma State is not a good defensive team. Like, I think Drew is six touchdowns short of tying Chase Daniel. <laughs> I would not be shocked to see him, you know, maybe tie that record. Yeah, yeah. The one thing I found interesting, I was looking up some stuff about Oklahoma State the other day, and they they actually they're like seventh in the country in sacks they get a ton of sacks but like other than that they don't do anything particularly well right. and Missouri's offensive line is really good so I, I don't think yeah this is not a good matchup for the Oklahoma State defense and and obviously you know the Missouri defense has had its issues at times this season but it's been playing better so like you would think yeah. if if you know all things equal if both teams come to play Missouri should be able to, to outscore Oklahoma State but I don't know, we'll see I, I would think if Missouri holds Oklahoma State under 35 they're gonna win this game yeah I would I would say I would say so although the uh it What's funny, Christian Holmes a couple weeks ago did say that the talk of a shootout is disrespectful to the Mizzou defense. So apologies to Christian Holmes. Well, <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, all right, so we'll just finish up. I mean, I don't know how much more we can say about National Signing Day than we've said in the last 48 hours. But, like, this was – and this is the 15th one I've covered. I know it's it's really the first one you've really covered. But 
Like, this was a very typical Missouri class and a very anti-Missouri National Signing Day when everything everything outside of two junior college offensive linemen between Monday and Wednesday fell Missouri's way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you you touched on this on on our website this morning a little bit, but I think part of part of what makes it feel like such a success, and I'm like I'm not trying to say it, it wasn't, but is is the, just the fact that you got all of these these late uh, commits to hop on board at the end, some of whom had been committed for a while actually. Um, you know, adding Sean Robinson Tuesday night, adding four new guys Wednesday, like that. You know, that feels like these these big signing day victories, and they were. Right. I mean, and, and they didn't lose anyone, which is important. But but that definitely you know that helps with perception. And that's a lot of what National Signing Day is, is rankings and perception. So we'll, we'll yeah. see. I mean, obviously, you know, we're never going to judge a class until they've played a few years. But Oh, but, no, we are. That's what we do. <laughs> but Mizzou obviously filled some, some very key needs, especially, you know, getting guys from St. Louis and getting Kelly Bryant. Mizzou is one of 129 Division One teams to hit their numbers and get everyone they wanted mm-hmm. yesterday on national. Even Kansas signed ten guys; they were the only ten guys they wanted. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, so yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. But like, look, a lot of momentum for Barry Odom's team, a lot of momentum for Missouri, really, which is why I I think this bragging right from the fan base perspective, we'll kind of circle back to the beginning. Bragging rights on Saturday night. This is big for Missouri. Yeah. Um, basketball team's been playing well. You. You win this game, you're going to finish 9-3. and three. All the football good news, all that. There's a 27,000-page thread on softball on our board. <laughs> Everything is fantastic right yeah. now. So. It's still interesting, though, and I'm obviously not speaking for all fans, but I, I, I keep coming back to every fan I or person I talked to in the last few days is like, keeps waiting for something to go wrong it's like yeah. this I, I think it's not just a mizzou mindset it's just this fan mindset and, and i think everyone has bragging rights picked as the thing like yeah. ah we can't it, it can't all go well so we're gonna turn the ball over 40 times against right. illinois and like you know what I'll, I'll admit saturday night that can ruin conzo martin's christmas yeah it's not gonna ruin mine it shouldn't ruin yours if you're listening yeah you know? like, yeah no i mean it you know it's it's kind of a, a crapshoot game so we'll see yeah. i don't know uh, we'll yeah. be there we will be there um, but yeah, that's about all I have to say. We'll be in Memphis as well for the Liberty Bowl. Yeah, St. Louis and Memphis, and then uh, back home, and then there's like a week off. Missouri didn't play a conference game till January eighth. So, yeah, that'll be uh, that nice. is uh, that's a big week. We're we're looking forward to that week. Maybe we'll do a podcast that week about like we can preview the inevitable Clemson Alabama national title game. Uh, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. So uh, I think there's some bowl games on between now and then to watch it. Um. We've got a lot of stuff coming up on the site. On uh, I think on Christmas morning, I'm actually going to post my story on the 1978 Liberty Bowl team. Some of you listening, um, good for the elder statesman, understanding podcasts and listening to this. Uh, if you are younger than probably 55, you don't really remember that game, uh, that team. So kind of fun um, walking down memory lane, talking to Phil Bradley and Lamont Downer, Chris Garlick, some of the guys that played on that team. So we'll have that. We'll break down the Liberty Bowl next week. No podcast next week because Mitchell is going to be home in Louisville, and I frankly just don't feel like doing it two days after Christmas. So there you go. It's my show. I get to not do it. Uh, So thanks for listening all year long. We will be back um, after the Liberty Bowl and leading into SEC basketball season. So we'll talk to you in two weeks.